Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here, and I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. 40 Strategy is built to make strategy work for small to medium-sized businesses and organizations by designing world-class strategic plans and help keeping them accountable to actually get it done. Go to 40strategy.com to learn more. Our shout out today is to J.M. Ryerson from Let's Go Win. He is an extraordinary person and individual, and he is a shout out because he gave us our guest referral today, who is Dr. Don Wood. He is the author, speaker, and founder and CEO of the Inspired Performance Institute and creator of the patented TIP method. TIP is a cutting-edge method inspired and designed through the newest developments in neuroscience and designed to clear away the effects of disturbing or traumatic events. He repurposes old patterns, set the individual's mind up to speak for peak performance. And he also has two top-selling books, Emotional Concussions and You Must Be Out of Your Mind. From that, Dr. Don Woods, welcome to the Measure Success Podcast. Thanks, Carl. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. I know we talked a little bit before, so I was excited to get back on here and get the podcast going. Absolutely. So I obviously did the preamble of what you do. Give us a little bit more detail about your company and what you do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, what we really do is, so you can tell by the title, it's the Inspired Performance Institute. We are focused on performance. But the genesis of it was coming from how trauma affects people. And that was really how I designed the program because I'd had my wife and daughter who had had trauma that we were, I was aware of my my wife's obviously, but not my daughter's. But I saw how it was affecting their lives. And in fact, that prompted me to start doing some research. That's I actually went back and got my PhD. I was always being an entrepreneur. And I think that was an advantage. So I went in trying to figure out a better way to do things as opposed to teaching people to live and manage and cope with trauma. And what I found from developing it is when we get trauma released, performance goes up. So that was sort of the bonus. And that's what we really focus on. So I work with CEOs, executives, athletes, as well as you know people who have dealt with trauma, like Boston Marathon bombing survivors, the Vegas shooting victims, veterans people who are dealing with trauma, we can eliminate the effects of trauma. So I think it's worthwhile since you mentioned it. Part of the genesis of this was a story of what was going on with your daughter and you're trying to figure out what was happening. So let's go ahead and talk about that because I think that's such an important part of, you know, a lot of times entrepreneurs or people in situations, you don't understand the why behind the why behind the why they're really doing something. And, and this really was your rationale. So if you can share that story, because I think it's fascinating. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be doing this at all if it wasn't for what happened to my daughter. And I wish it never happened. But had I not, you know, found a solution for her, this never would have been possible. But my my wife, I said, she grew up in a traumatic household with a very angry father. She was high functioning, great mom, great wife. But when my daughter turned 14, she was diagnosed with Crohn's. And at the time, they told us there's no cure for Crohn's. We don't know what causes Crohn's. She just needs to live and manage and cope with it. 
And she ended up having four resections done where they literally took out 24 inches of her intestines. And what they told us is that there were, because there was no cure for it, she'd eventually end up with a colostomy bag. And so we tried to do all kinds of things to figure out what it was, you know, took her off of gluten and dairy, all the things they told us to do and trying to understand it, but there was really no answer. And then a little later, she developed a second autoimmune disorder called idiopathic pulmonary hemosiderosis, which is where the lungs start to release blood and the iron in the blood. Again, autoimmune. They told us no cure for it. We don't know what causes it, but she should live near a hospital because her lungs could fill up in 15 minutes. And, and that's what my wife then said, because I was adopted. We didn't know my genetic history. So my wife said, this must be a genetic thing coming from your side of the family. You need to figure this out, right? Or we're going to lose our daughter. So I went back, got my PhD and tried to figure it out. And what I discovered through the research was that there was a common thread to a lot of people dealing with autoimmune disorders who had had trauma from childhood. And so I looked at it and said, well, how are they dealing with trauma? What's the answer for that? And it came back to the same thing they said for her Crohn's and IPH was, well, there's no cure for it. You just manage it. You live and cope with it. You got anxiety, you got depression. Well, then you just live with that. You get on anti-anxiety meds, antidepressants, whatever it was to manage it. And I just said, that doesn't make sense to me. Why don't they fix it? And so that's what I did is I went out to search for a way to figure out how do we stop it from happening? Because the way I see it is if somebody has anxiety, why do they have anxiety, right? Our system is not designed to be anxious. The anxiety is coming for a reason, right? It just doesn't wake up one day and say, well, let's, let's just mess, mess Carl's life up and make him anxious, right? It's not doing that. It's got a purpose to it. So that's what I discovered. Okay, so you discovered this concept of, okay, now we need to help eliminate this PTSD or anxiety or, or challenges that people have. Now, how does that happen? How, how do you get people that have had, you, know, you mentioned some significant events, Boston bombings and the LA, you know, Las Vegas shootings and people who have been in war. These are big events, right, in somebody's life where they have seen something extraordinarily traumatic scientifically, how are you helping these individuals to overcome that trauma? The key, Carl, was to figure out what's causing it. And so what I talk about is anytime you have an emotion, your mind is calling for an action. The purpose of fear is to escape a threat. The purpose of anger is to attack a threat. So if you think about something that happened 10 years ago and you feel fear, it's a glitch. It's an error message. Why would your mind be feeling fear about something that's not happening? So that's what led me into the research of saying, what's going on when somebody's having a post-traumatic stress episode? And so what I looked at is, how's the brain operating under those conditions? And what I discovered is, it's coming from memory. Memory is actually activating the nervous system, which is creating the emotional response. So if you brain map somebody, and this is what we did, we looked at it, if somebody's having a, a stressful situation, so they're experiencing a flashback or whatever, the occipital lobe at the back of the brain 
that part of the brain, the O1, O2 area, the back of the brain is lit up. So if the occipital lobe is viewing something, what's it viewing? So if you and I are sitting here talking and I'm having a flashback, it's not coming because I'm talking to you, right? That wouldn't activate it. What's activating it is the memory. As if you said to me, you know, oh, Don, tell me what happened in that battle that you got into in Iraq. And then I start thinking about it. The memory is then going to be seen in real time. So memory gets stuck in a loop, activates our nervous system, and then we go into response. And so traumatic memory is stored in high definition, tremendous amounts of detail. And so when you have that tremendous amount of detail looping through, your system thinks something's happening. And so doesn't it make sense if your mind thought there was a bomb about to go off at the Boston Marathon, when you started to talk about it, your mind would say, run. That's what's actually happening for them. So okay. the way I explain it is, so call if I asked you what you ate for dinner last night, can you tell me what you ate for dinner? Nope. <laughs> How about breakfast? <laughs> oh, breakfast was amazing. I had oatmeal, had some eggs, had some fruit. It was fantastic. Perfect. So when I asked you that, you saw pictures, right, of what you ate. You saw the oatmeal, you saw the fruit. That's how you stored the information about breakfast this morning. Now, it was stored as a fairly low-resolution file because it wasn't very threatening, right? may have been a great meal, right? But all your senses aren't heightened in that situation. If that was a traumatic event, your sight, your smell, your hearing are all in hypervigilance. So how is it going to record that? high def, very bright, very intense. That's what's creating the glitch. So if you are in a high beta brainwave state recording an event and then it gets stored in memory, every time somebody asks you like what you ate for breakfast this morning, if that was a threatening event, you would have started to feel fear. Only because your mind would have been looking at what you ate for breakfast this morning and that would have activated a nervous system response. So what I've done is developed a technique that we can take that high definition traumatic memory and get your mind to reprocess it into the same format as to what you ate for breakfast this morning. That takes all the intensity out of it. The mind no longer creates a response to it. It's that simple. And that is, an, that is fascinating. And I'll tell you what's even funnier was the time when you're speaking you're like, so what did I have for dinner last night? And it was pinar bread and jamba. So I do got that figured out now. So, so, so now most importantly, we can get back to like, did, did Carl remember what he, I did remember what I ate last night, but so that's really the fascinating thing, right? Is, is the brain is constantly working. You know, I recognize even people that are listening to this one, one of my favorite professors, he said he would repeat things three times every once in a while. And the reason why he did that is because only a third of the audience is listening at any one period of time and engaged, right? So he's hoping he repeated three times that hopefully the rest of the audience would figure things out. So in, in a weird way, that's what's happening, right? Our mind is subconsciously bringing things to our attention and then activating our body, right? Into these stimuli that we can't control. Yep. So then, so how, of course, how do we get that to change? How do we, what actions do we have to take ultimately, so that doesn't continuously create that same effect every single time. 
So we basically have four brainwave states. We have beta, alpha, theta, delta. Beta is about 15 to 30 hertz or cycles per second. So that's when we're in a fairly active state. That's why, as the professor would say, a lot of people, if they're in a high beta state, they may be thinking about so many other things, they're not listening to what's happening now. If he could move them into an alpha brainwave state where they're super relaxed and focused, they would be able to pay attention. So if we have a high beta memory, a traumatic memory, and we go into traditional therapy to talk about what happened, what brainwave state are we going to be in when we're talking about this high beta memory? We're going to be in the same state that we experienced the event in. We're going to be stressed out talking about it. So very hard to fix beta and beta. So the reason I use a four-hour process is that by the time we're about two hours in, we haven't even talked about trauma. All I've talked about is the science behind how our minds work so that you understand how we're going to fix it. By the time we have you in a very nice, deep, relaxed alpha brainwave state, I'm going to bring in a two-minute highlight reel, a movie trailer of that traumatic event and reset it because it'll reset when it's in a restorative mindset. It doesn't want to reset when it's in a stressed mindset. And that's why traditional therapy is not real good at trauma. It's good at relationship issues or things that are currently going on. But trauma is a specific, creates a specific response in us. And if you don't understand it, you can't fix it. And that's really what I, you know, sort of learned through all my research. Here's a fascinating fact, which sort of illustrated it is it's coming from memory. We know that area of the brain is lit up when there's a post-traumatic stress response. But here's a, something I found in my research. So schizophrenia is the most dramatic response to trauma. People who are schizophrenic guarantee you they have trauma and severe trauma. It disorganizes the brain so much it can't coordinate anymore. So this is what I found. There is not one documented case of a person who had schizophrenia that was born blind. Isn't that fascinating? That is interesting. So what does that mean? They could never record it. They couldn't record the visual, right, of that event. So, wow. so people who have born with sight and have trauma and become schizophrenic, right, a lot of them have come from because they're looping through all this trauma. And they're seeing and it, it in real time. They're seeing it. They're like seeing it. Interesting. That's a really fascinating correlation. I mean, or a lack of correlation, if that makes sense, that there is nobody, right, who who is blind, who's ever had schizophrenia. And that's okay, born so but born blind. Born blind. Thank you. Thanks for clarifying that. All right. So you put somebody through the therapy, they go through, then they go through that second, because it's typically this four-hour program that you do. Though through the second set of two hours. So what happens afterwards? So immediately after this four-hour event, mm -hmm. what what is the patient, so to speak, right? What what is their experience at that point? So at that point, we've probably worked on about three different events, two or three different events. I've gone through a process to reset it. Now I don't even need to know what the trauma is. So Carl, if you said to me, you know, listen, I had this event. I don't feel like talking about it anymore. It creates all kinds of stress in me. I'll say, okay, let's just do it all visually. I don't need to know any of the details. I'm going to have your mind reset it. 
it's not important whether I know it or not. It's your mind doing all the work. So I'll take you through two or three of those events, two minute highlight reels, that's it. And your mind will start the reset process. Then after we're finished, the then but the last half an hour, 45 minutes, we're working on performance. And so the idea is then to start setting some performance goals by using some highlights, again, high definition highlights in your life that get connected up to these new tools that you're going to be using. And then for the next 30 days, you listen to a series of audios. And the audios are reinforcing the four-hour session, basically keeping it fresh, keeping your, because we have two issues. We have explicit memory, the way we stored the data about this event. And then our brains build codes on how to respond to it, right? Those are the habits and behaviors. And so I talk about addiction. Addiction is a code. It's not a disease. It's a code on how to stop pain. So if you had emotional pain and every time you take a drug or you take a drink and it stops, right? It solved the problem. And so if you repeat it, your brain's just a giant computer. It's coding. Just like if you write code on your computer, your computer doesn't say, are you sure you want to write this? Are you sure this is making sense? It just codes. And so your, your subconscious mind, which is your survival brain, is literal. So, and it's always in the moment, fully present. So when does it want pain to stop? If it's in the moment, it wants pain to stop now. And if they take that drug, it solved the problem. It doesn't have a connection to time, which means it has no connection to consequences. So that's why people have such a hard time getting out of addiction. It's because they have pain that started it, and then they built a code to respond to the pain. It's two separate things. And so what they do in AA and NA is they try to build some new codes about staying away from it, right? But they never fixed what caused it. So trauma is going to continue to activate it at different times and they're going to be white knuckling it for the rest of their lives. But mm -hmm. if you get rid of the trauma loop, right, then you can fix the codes. Okay. So trauma can be defined so differently and so individually driven, right? You know, somebody who their trauma is built on, as you said, like Boston marathon shootings, you know, that, that, that happened, the bombings, excuse me, that happened versus our father was yelling at our, our parents were yelling at us consistently from a certain period of time. What if the, the patient themselves, they don't know, they don't know really what the root cause was. They don't know what got to them to the point of let, let's say, let's go to an entrepreneur as an example, you have an entrepreneur and they, they keep on getting really close to being successful, but for some reason, they sabotage themselves at the end stage, right before they're about to go to sale. And this is real stuff I've seen in real life, right? You know, where, where something happens with the entrepreneur. But if you talk to them, they seem, for lack of a better term, they don't seem like they're under stress, other than the fact that you can tell this pattern happened where they sabotage themselves towards it. My question, this is once again, I don't know what I don't know here let's say there was some trauma that they had back in their past or some previous business failure that they keep on going back to, but they don't know, they don't know that it was that. How do you get them to understand that point, right? Where, what is my trauma, so to speak? And is, is that the reason why it's causing this, this 
pattern of an entrepreneur who continues to sabotage themselves. For sure. And here's an interesting way I look at it. And this is totally different. I don't believe the brain is capable of sabotage. Interesting. You can't sabotage yourself. It's impossible. The brain is survival based. It's uh, moving you in another direction to protect you. It's never trying to hurt you. It sees danger coming or pain coming. So it's going to stop you from hitting the wall or hitting that pain. Got it. And it will create you to do so. So people look and go, well, why would I go and do that dumb thing when I was on this great trajectory for success? Is success may have, have some sort of connection to some pain. I'll, I'll give you a great example. I had a guy, this is almost two years ago now. He making about $2 million a year, trading options, derivatives, very successful. But what he said to me, he goes, every time I get to the fourth quarter, I just shut down. And my two partners get very frustrated with me because he goes, I come up with every excuse. You know, I'm just burnt out. I'm tired. I need a vacation. I do everything to sort of avoid work in that fourth quarter. And he goes, and I have no idea why I do it. And he says, and then when the first of the year comes, he's, I'm back on fire. And he says, and I'll go back and I'll start making money again. But he says, what is it about the fourth quarter? So we, we took a look at his whole childhood. His father was his mentor and his father was a very, very successful businessman, but went bankrupt four times. And what he said to me, he says, we went from flying private jets to moving in the middle of the night, being chased by creditors. He says to flying in private jets to being chased by creditors in the middle of the night. So what his mind had done is that when he got to about 2 million, right? His mind was like, we're done. Don't risk anymore. Risk then became a big factor for him. Don't lose what you've built. And the mm. fourth quarter is generally pretty turbulent in the stock market. So he would avoid the danger. Was he deliberately doing that? No, he didn't even know why he was doing it. But that was coming from who his father was a great mentor to him, his idol, right? He saw what happened when he took too many risks and would lose everything. So he went through the program and then uh, this is actually the a year ago, December, he called me in December 15th, said, today's my last day. <laughs> he says, I, I have my best year ever. So he was able to stick through it because he didn't have that fear. And, and it wasn't necessarily fear that he was thinking he was having because he would have probably recognized that. It was just basically apathy or like, I, I can't get motivated. I don't feel like going into work today, right? I just need a vacation. That'll do it. I'm tired, right? He'd come up with all, he just had no idea why he was doing it. But his mind wasn't trying to hurt him. It was trying to protect him. I really appreciate how that, that different viewpoint of the brain is trying to protect itself and, and how you helped describe it was they were protecting themselves from what appeared to be risk right? From losing it. Yep. And so the, that's the real reason why I was doing it. And, and even though it's not, it's, so that is what's happening. The irony from the outside, it might view like they're sabotaging themselves, but that's not what their brain is thinking. Their brain is thinking I'm saving myself. I'm saving what I have. But the irony is like, they're not enabling until you help people work through them, them themselves to have greater possibility or potential, right? Like they were literally capped at that ceiling that they had created for themselves. 
and I, and I use that guy's example because it was a perfect, by all measures, he's successful. $2 million right. a year. No one's going right. to say, hey, that guy's really blowing it, right? Slacker. Blowing it, right? <laughs> he had $2 million every year that he was making. So from every aspect, he was successful. But he was basically, protect. his mind was trying to protect him from more risk. And so that's why it was shutting down. There was nothing wrong with him. There was nothing wrong with his mind. His mind was doing it for a reason. And so sometimes if somebody's had a business failure, for example, and they get to a certain level, then all of a sudden the mind goes, what happened when we stepped on the gas last time? What happened when we borrowed that other half a million dollars, right? I, I love what you're talking about because uh, the I, I count on at least you know, I would need more than two hands, right? To count the amount of times I've been in, in strategic retreats where actually it's been dozens and dozens of times where an executive will raise their hand, they'll hear a concept or an idea and they'll be like, we can't do that. Right. And, and because, and then they'll bring up an isolated event that happened in their life. Yep. And, and, and they're literally trying to protect the company, right? Saying we can't go down that path because this is what happened to me in the past. And what's interesting is sometimes there's true validity, right? In what they're saying, like it, it is, it is reasonable, but there's other times it is truly an isolated event. It's not correlated at all yeah. to the next thing. But what's, I go back to, and I, I'm, I know I'm using the wrong terminology because of their fear around it. If the, if the strategy is selected, yeah. the group decides we're going to go do, to it anyway, that executive will not go will not buy in mm -hmm. and they will do everything they can to prevent it from taking place because once again their fear goes back to it's going to kill us it's going to hurt us it's going to destroy us we're going to go bankrupt as a result so i i just i really find this fascinating of that that once again these these if you may ptsd events of previous business events are creating these areas where they're protecting they're literally not sabotaging but they're protecting the company they be the company's best interest but their mind has really gotten to the point that they will not buy in they will not help and and they will find ways to once again protect the organization to make sure that that strategy does not get <laughs> executed here's what's fascinating about it is say they had a bankruptcy 10 years earlier and right now they're on this amazing trajectory doing really well. And then somebody says, we should then change this marketing strategy to this. But that marketing strategy 10 years ago backfired. And so when they look at this marketing strategy that could help them now, and everybody's on board going, this makes a lot of sense. If we execute this, it's going to be good. He's looking at the 10-year one from 10 years earlier, seeing the crash. So when is it crashing? Now, right? Even though he hasn't even done it yet, but the old one's running in real time. Hollywood has made trillions of dollars from this. They can convince us that something in a movie screen is happening now. Memory is the same way. We can go into a movie and cry, or we can go into a movie and get scared. The logical part of your brain, the intellectual part of your brain says, that's a movie, right? But the subconscious survival brain goes, Jack is drowning in the movie Titanic, right? But your conscious mind saying, oh, that's Leonardo DiCaprio playing in a movie called Titanic. But your subconscious runs survival, any survival threat, 
is overridden reason and logic every time. There's where business people get stuck. And and what you said there resonated with me. I recently saw the movie Otto, O-T-T-O, by with Tom Hanks is in it. And it was a pretty sad movie along the way. You know, it was it was really well done. Basically, elderly gentleman who's at the last days of his life, his his wife just passed away, and and he's literally trying to find a way to end his life, but life is not ready to end him yet. If you, in a nutshell, what was interesting about it is that he he kind of looked like my dad who recently passed away, mm-hmm. and I was kind of struggling with, but I walked out of that theater and I lost it. And it was this total PTSD. And my wife was like, what's going on? And I was like, oh my gosh, this just brought back the memory of my, my dad who passed. And it's, it's fascinating that you mentioned that one example. So let me go back to this example of, of this one person in a strategic room who is, once again, they're trying to protect the company. You have everyone else's bought in and they're not. Right. How does a proof of how, how, how do you deal with, you know, how using your, what you would do, how would a company help deal with that situation where everyone else is bought in? And this is a critical person as a part of your company, but they once again, has decided to protect the company. We can't do this strategy. Right. What do they do? You know, what, what is that? What does that executive team do when I would say the traditional methods of buy-in haven't worked? because of this PTSD that they've had in their life. If they don't get that resolved, that traumatic event that created it, they're never going to convince them to do it because their his mind will not sabotage him. It is going to go out of its way to protect him at all costs because it only sees right what's in his best interest. It's not looking at the company. It's looking at his survival. And so if he can't see his own survival inside the company, right, he's going to default to his own trauma and that's going to run the day. So if that that doesn't get resolved and so many people are dealing with this kind of thing that they all bring in their biases, right? And there's where you get sometimes what's a great idea that could, the company could do really well. And all it takes is, you know, one of the executive team to kill it just for that reason. And probably may not even know why he's killing it. Mm. He, I just don't like it. My gut's telling me it, it's, it's not good. And his gut is telling him it's not good 10 years ago. That's right. That's right. And they're playing the same. 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I know a lot of your, you're based in Orlando, you do a lot of work that, that is in person, but you have now have developed a way to be able to get more people to experience your teaching so, so people can, can resolve these matters so they can change their brain loop to help overcome their challenges. Describe how that works. So for those who are, who are curious about potentially looking more and learning about what you do. So we have two different ways because I can't scale myself. I can do one-on-ones, right? But I'm limited. So I developed an online version of it. It's the same four hours all on video. I take you through the whole process. We're just now shooting it in VR. So we'll have it both in VR and regular video. So it'll be like you're sitting with me doing a session. So that's one way. The second way is I do groups. So I can go, you know, you can bring in 25 executives, sit them in the room. I take them all through the same program 
and not one person has to share their trauma. So nobody's sitting there talking about my childhood or talking about anything. I can get, I'll take the three sessions or the three events that we're going to do. They're all done in a way that nobody has to talk about it. Just get your mind to process it. So I just had a lady, I'm a member of the Genius Network out in Phoenix, Arizona. And so she was at a company event and came out to, when I was out there last week in Phoenix. So she came out and said, I was at your event in November and she's a former nurse, but she's an attorney now. And she said, I had panic attacks. I had anxiety attacks. I had a lot of different things, even some health issues. And she says, and that was in November. She says, today, I haven't had a panic attack since going through the program. She <laughs> says, even health, I'm sleeping better. I'm seeing a lot of changes. And it was all coming. And now here's a high performing. She's an executive, right? An attorney, right? So she's doing a pretty good job, right? Her company's growing. So again, by every you know, measure, she's successful. She wasn't living her best life because mm. trauma kept on running. And until that gets resolved, it's going to be hard to get to that next level. So you, you answered it a bit as you're, you're talking about measuring success. So for your clients, I'll put it from that perspective, how, how are you measuring success? Athletes, it's really easy because they're constantly measuring. So I worked with, you know, the Spartan races? Yes. Uh, so I worked with one of the runners who in 2019, this is just a good example. He was running the Spartan World Championships in Lake Tahoe in 2019. His a lady who runs Spartan Japan asked me if I would work with him before the championships that were on Sunday. So I took Rob through the four hour program. His name is Rob Killian. Now he's Special Forces Green Beret, phenomenal athlete. So I didn't make him a great athlete. He was already a great athlete. But there were three guys that were winning all the races. They were dominating. Rob wasn't one of those three. So I worked with Rob on Friday. He ran in the world championships on Sunday and beat everybody. Now, why did he beat everybody? Again, I didn't make him a faster runner. When we have unresolved trauma, it actually affects the mitochondria and the ATP production in the cells. So he was losing power to this trauma loop. And so when we release the trauma, we release the power. I mean, how could anything possibly have changed in two days except the event, the session? So Rob was all, I said, Rob, you were always that fast. You just didn't have access to that extra energy level. We release that energy level. You run faster. I've got all kinds of examples of that in athletics where people just start performing, winning, breaking world records, right? All because their capability was always there. They just didn't have that ability to reach that reserve. The, the challenge we have, Dr. Don, is only the fact that we have to end this, unfortunately, <laughs> this podcast recording. I think what you are doing is absolutely extraordinary. I do like to ask, there's more I like to ask, but that's one of my favorite questions. What is a book that inspired you that you'd like to share with others? It's actually a, a very new one. And the reason I'm going to share, there's two, and I was thinking of which one I would, I would share. But the one that I just recently was reading is by Joe, Joe Polish from the Genius Network. And it's called What's In It For Them. And I like that title because Joe is a master marketer 
and just an amazing connector with people. He connects people all the time. And when I, I met Joe at that Spartan World Championships, he found out I was working with Rob Killian. So he asked me about it. He was speaking at the games. I was speaking at the games. He came to watch me speak. And then we watched Rob take off on Sunday in the, in the race. And he is such a generous guy. And the way he started off, as he calls it, a dead ass broke carpet cleaner, right? That learned how to market. And then he took his marketing strategies and helped business people. So the Genius Network is full of entrepreneurs and his book is What's In It For Them, which I love because it's really true. He never asked me for anything, right? I didn't join the Genius Network until 2022. He always took my call, always listened to me, always referred people to me. It was never what's in it for him. It's one it, what's in it for them. And that mindset has built his whole, you know, empire, very successful guy. So I think it's just a great motto for life. It's almost sort of in, in essence, what I'm doing. It's one what's in it for them. I love seeing people heal. I love seeing these amazing stories of people getting their lives back. I, I just had a lady two weeks ago who had a lot of issues with her dad and a lot of, you know, trauma as a child. And her final remark to me when she was leaving, she gave me a big hug and said, thank you for giving me my dad back. She was able to reconnect with him again. Wow, that's powerful. Yep. How can people connect with you and learn more about what you're doing? So if you go to our website, it's the inspiredperformanceinstitute.com. You can see about our different programs, what we're doing. There's a lot of testimonials on there that you'll see of people who've gone through the program, like from the Boston Marathon, Vegas shooting, the veterans, as well as athletes, executives, CEOs. We just got one in today about a young 21-year-old guy suffering, they said, heart conditions. He was, I mean, really suffering physically. And yeah. he's he went through the program, the online program. He just got back from his doctor's appointment today and said, they said he's got a clean bill of health. Wow. It was all coming in from stress. Right. From trauma in his childhood. But it was showing up with heart conditions, really bad anxiety, heart palpitations, things like that. So check out our site. We'd love to hear from you. Anything we've got. I've got two books out. The first one is You Must Be Out of Your Mind. That's how I developed the program. The second one's called Emotional Concussions. Right. And that's basically talking about the bumps we get along the way. They may not be big T traumas. But they're those kinds of things, the coach that told you you're not good enough, the teacher that called you stupid, right? Get those emotional concussions out of the way as well. And by the time this gets released, I believe you have two more books coming out, right? Do you want to share on this of uh, what they are? Love to. The, the next one coming out is called The 15th Club. I'm a golfer. I love golfing. So the idea is you need the 15th club is the mind, right? The 14 clubs are in your bag. The 15th club is on your head. And so if you can work on your mind, you can improve your golf game. And so I work with a lot of professional golfers that way. And then the next book is a, really a passion of mine. I haven't given it a title yet because I really want to make this title right, but it's about parenting. How do we become the best parents we can be? And I'm not saying I got it perfect, but knowing what I know now about how our brains work and knowing about how I was raised as a child in this amazing childhood, I think we can improve as parents. 
the number one message I can give to a parent is make your home safe. I lived in that safe home, that safe environment. So that really regulated my nervous system. So if you can make your home safe, you'll, you'll change your child's life forever. So that's what the book's all about. How do you do that? That's awesome. That's tremendous. Really excited for those to be released. And thank you so much, Dr. Dunwood, for being a guest on the Measure Success podcast. Thanks, Carl. I appreciate your time. And to everyone else who's listening, I hope you've appreciated this, this incredible testimony and, and testimonies that continue out of Dr. Don Wood's work. I encourage you to go out and to learn more about that. And for once again, all our guests, we thank you for listening. We encourage you, if you've enjoyed this, please rate our podcast. That's how we continue to grow, grow and get, get great guests like Dr. Don Wood to be on the show. Well, with that, we wish you the very, very best at measuring success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.